Welcome. My name is Caleb, and you are listening to the Vitamin C Podcast. All right, guys, so I have some good news and I have some bad news. The good news is that you are listening to this episode right now, which means that I was still alive to put it out. The bad news is that I am still sick. So for those loyal followers of the podcast, you would have heard in my last episode that I barely even got the episode out at all because I was very sick. And full disclosure here, I drop episodes Monday morning, pretty much actually it's like midnight that I dropped them. And that episode, I actually ended up recording around midnight, which meant that I edited that episode until two in the morning before uploading it for public consumption. So yeah, that was kind of a lot for me, especially considering I was not feeling well. But for those who don't know, I'd explained in my last episode that I had this nose and throat thing that kind of spread to my chest which resulted in me going to the doctor, which resulted in the doctor prescribing me something to treat it, which resulted in me a week later having a very extreme reaction to this treatment, to this antibiotic that I was given. And I won't go too into detail on this one, but I will just tell you Long story short, I have been eating nothing but bland foods for the last five days or so, and I've been chugging water like crazy and just doing everything that I can to stay alive until I can get in to see my doctor again and say, hey, I had an allergic reaction to this antibiotic. What do we do? So yeah, long story short, I have not been having a good time. And because of that, I have not been able to do anything that I wanted this week at all. So I had a million movies I wanted to watch. I had a million shows I wanted to watch. And I've just been too sick, too tired, and too physically uncomfortable to sit and enjoy anything, sit and really do anything. So the fact I'm actually recording this just shows how dedicated I am to this craft. But also, I kind of, in these moments, need a sense of purpose, need something to do. So I figure, okay, I'll just record whatever I can record right now so I can put an episode out. And so just to tell you straight up, I'm not going to be talking about a new movie in this episode, and I'm not going to be talking about a new show. I'm not going to be talking about a series of movies, a franchise, or anything like that. I decided I would just record a quick episode, well, hopefully quick, where I just talk about all the movies that I've binged through this month and sort of give you an idea of whether or not it's something you might want to watch or maybe not. So to start this month, I was binging through the Halloween franchise and I already have an episode about that. So if you want to hear about the Halloween movies, then go listen to that episode. And then I spent the following week binging through the Friday the 13th franchise, which was not as much fun as the Halloween franchise, to be completely honest. Then I rewatched a couple movies that I am a fan of. One is a movie called Our Friend, which stars Dakota Johnson, Casey Affleck, and Jason Segel. All excellent actors in their own unique ways. And that is a movie about a woman who is diagnosed with cancer. And the best friend of her and her husband, 
pretty much packs up his entire life to live at their place and help take care of her, help take care of the kids, and just do anything needed around the house to support them through this time in their lives. And I'll just tell you that it's a very, very beautiful movie. It's a well-acted movie. It is heartbreaking. I mentioned it's beautiful, but it's also incredibly sad. But it is one of those movies that you watch and you just see the highs and lows of humanity on display, but especially the highs, in my opinion. So I'm a fan of that one. And then I rewatched the movie Creed. I've actually been watching those movies with my mom because I thought she'd like them. And sure enough, she does. The first Creed movie is excellent. It's just so good, man. As far as spiritual sequels go or reboots go or requels go, the first Creed is probably top three for me. It's really tough because it's Creed, Blade Runner 2049, and Top Gun Maverick off the top of my head as the best ones for me. I think it's just really well directed. I think it's well acted. I think it builds really well on the original Rocky movies. And that score by Ludwig Gornson is just amazing, man. It's so good. But now we get on to some of the new movies that I watched. So I watched the movie Trick or Treat, which you might have heard about for maybe a brief minute on the Halloween franchise episode I did with my buddy Ryan. But if not, I'll just tell you that Trick or Treat is a really fascinating movie because it almost operates as an anthology movie. Anthology meaning it's a ton of separate stories or better described as maybe a collection of stories. I was trying to think of a movie that fit that bill, but I can't really think of one off the top of my head. But I do have this really bad brain fog. I've had it for the last few weeks and it's not going away. So that kind of sucks. But it kind of just seems like it's these spooky stories that are taking place all over this town on the same night on Halloween night. But the cool thing is that at the end of the movie, they all kind of tie together, which is something that I really, really liked. But also, it's just a well-shot movie. I have seen a couple movies from this director. The first movie that I saw, and the director's name, by the way, is Michael Doherty. But the first movie I saw was Godzilla King of the Monsters, which was one that I saw in theaters, and I was kind of visually blown away. I didn't think the story was a 10 out of 10, but I gave the movie a solid review afterwards because I said, man, that was just a spectacle. And it was, and I think it is difficult to shoot a movie of that size and have it look consistently great throughout. I think you need a really solid visual eye to pull that off. But then the next movie I watched from this guy was Krampus, which, my gosh, that was a movie that I got in a bundle on Vudu. There were a few movies for sale. It was like a three for 15, and there were two that we wanted, and the rest of the movies available to bundle were movies that we hadn't seen or didn't care for or maybe already owned. But I saw that one, and I said, oh, that's from the director of Godzilla King of the Monsters, I've heard this one is good, and it has, sure enough, a decent Rotten Tomatoes score. Not that that means anything really to me, but I had heard that it was pretty good. And so we got that, and then one day I watched it with my brother, and by the end, we kind of sat there, and he kind of cracked it and went, wow, that was bad. And yeah, yeah, it was not good. I am kind of confused as to why people liked it so much, but... They then put out this R-rated director's cut pretty recently, 
And I will tell you straight up, I am never giving it a shot, but I just hope that people that love the PG-13 Krampus also love the R-rated director's cut, but just not for me. I was not a fan of the movie at all. And for that reason, I kind of held off on Trick or Treat for years because this is the one that I heard was his best, but I just never gave it a shot because I thought, yeah, I don't know, Krampus kind of sucked, and King of the Monsters is good, but not good enough for me to binge through this guy's entire filmography necessarily. But then my good buddy Ryan, who was on the Halloween episode with me, had recommended Trick or Treat and said it's a Halloween classic for him, that he watches it pretty much every year. And so I said, okay, you know what? I'm going to give it a shot. And so this year it was on Max, formerly HBO Max. And, you know, they changed their name to Max because why not make a terrible business decision? It's like having a platform called Twitter and changing it to X. That's the stupidest thing I've ever heard. Who would do such a thing? But anyway, I watched it and I was a fan. I thought that the visuals were very good, very Halloween-y. I thought that each individual story was creepy in its own way. And I just like the vibe of the movie. I don't know, man. It's tough to explain, but some Halloween movies just don't quite capture the Halloween vibe. But this one 100% does. And it is R-rated and for good reason, for sure. But it doesn't really have the tone of an R-rated movie to me. Even though it is violent, even though there is language, even though there are some boobies, and I will admit, some nice ones at that. But it didn't feel like this really dark, twisted, disturbing movie, which a lot of these R-rated Halloween movies could maybe feel like, I suppose. This just felt like the ultimate Halloween movie, though, where there was just enough supernatural, just enough creature horror... Just enough slasher horror, I would say, and everything in between where it just had a really good balance and it wraps it all up in 90 minutes too. So yeah, I was a fan of Trick or Treat for sure. If you are looking for something to watch in the last few days of this month, then I would give Trick or Treat a shot. Okay, on the same night that I watched Trick or Treat, I watched Villains starring Bill Skarsgård and Micah Monroe and Jeffrey Donovan as well. So I watched this movie because I had heard it was pretty good. It's got Bill Skarsgård, who I like, and it's got Micah Monroe, who I love. I think she is fantastic as an actress. Just extremely, extremely underrated. She is, of course, in the movie It Follows. She is also in a movie called Watcher, which came out, I believe it was last year, and that was one that I thought was very underrated. She's also in the movie Flashback, which... I need to rewatch sometime, but flashback, by the way, it's a movie starring her and Dylan O'Brien, so two of my favorite young actors slash actresses in the same movie, and flashback was a cool story. It was one where by the end I went, whoa, that's something else, but I dug it at the same time, but I'm not here to talk about flashback, I'm here to talk about villains. So villains opens with Bill Skarsgård and his wife, who's played by Micah Monroe, robbing this convenience store, and then hitting the road. But the problem is, they clearly are first-time criminals because they did not have enough gas in their tank to have a clear getaway, where their car ends up dying on the side of the road. And while trying to think up solutions as to what to do, because they want to get far away from the scene of the crime, so they can't really call for help or anything like that, and they know it's a long ways till a gas station, so they can't really walk there, they don't want to hitchhike, but they then see a house in the distance. 
and they go to that house. They break into the house because it appears nobody's home. And while they're looking around, hoping to find resources or something like that because they need gas for their car, they end up finding this little girl chained up in the basement. And soon after is when the homeowners come home. And the rest of the movie plays out from there. As you can imagine, the homeowners are dangerous and kind of crazy people. And so it becomes this game of criminals meeting bigger, scarier criminals than them, I would say. And the movie overall is all right. It's okay. I mean, there's some decent comedy in there for sure. It's not laugh out loud funny necessarily, but there are a few moments that cracked me up. It's decently suspenseful, although I don't think it's incredibly suspenseful. It's no 10 Cloverfield Lane as far as movies like this go. And look, there are some solid performances for sure. Bill Skarsgård is fun in this movie because he's doing an American accent and it's actually good. And Micah Monroe is, of course, wonderful in this movie. I think she gives the best performance overall. But yeah, it was a movie where once it ended, I said, yeah, that was all right. I'm not going to watch it again, but I could see why other people might like it more. They might say, oh, there's sexy people in this movie and it's an interesting premise, so let me watch it. For me, that wasn't enough to really win me over entirely. So I thought it was okay if you're looking for something to just pass the time, but it's not one that I would go out and recommend to anybody. Okay, next up, I watched Totally Killer, which you guys have already heard about on a previous episode. That is a slasher comedy, sort of in the vein of Back to the Future and Scream. And that one's fun. I mean, if you want to hear about it, just listen to my episode on it. I'm not going to talk about it anymore. But then after that, I watched a movie called The Empty Man. And boy, oh boy, I was not prepared for this movie. So you guys should know, if you don't already, that I'm not great with horror movies. Not at all, quite honestly. And so when I have a horror movie recommended to me and somebody says, oh, it's really great, it's like this, it's like this, and they name horror movies that I have seen that I can actually tolerate, that definitely gets me interested. But there's still a part of me in the back of my mind that's saying, yeah, but this is probably still too scary for me. And so that was kind of how I felt about this one. I was thinking... Yeah, I believe it's good, but it's probably a little too scary for me. Somebody had told me, they said, oh, you love Shutter Island. Oh, you love A Cure for Wellness. You would love The Empty Man. I said, okay, is it scary? Like, no, 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 it's not that scary. It's not that scary. It's mysterious and it's a little creepy, but it's not inherently scary. I thought, okay, yeah, maybe I'll check it out somewhere down the road when I'm watching with other people because I don't trust myself to watch these movies by myself usually. But then this one night I saw it on Hulu and I said, okay, I just got to watch it. I'm just going to watch it. And I'll tell you what, this movie has one of the hardest cold opens I've ever seen. So cold open is when a movie kind of just jumps right into it. It doesn't give the title card right away. It doesn't have opening credits or really anything to establish the movie. It just goes right into the movie, just jumps right into it before the title card. And so this movie has a 20 minute cold open. And while watching this, I think I was five minutes into the movie where I paused it and I started texting a couple friends of mine that I know watch a ton of horror movies. And I said, hey, have you seen The Empty Man? Hey, have you seen The Empty Man? 
And one of my friends didn't reply that night, but the other friend had said, no, I haven't seen it. I went, okay. I was just going to ask if the whole movie is as scary as the first five minutes. But yeah, they didn't know. They hadn't seen it. And so I was looking through reviews and things like that, people talking about it. And I came across this one website. I always forget what it is, but they rank movies based on scariness. And they have a few categories they use to rank and they'll show where it ranks in those categories. And then they'll have their overall ranking. And their categories are things like suspense, gore, and I don't remember. There's one more. And then they have just the overall rating. And this one they had as like a 6 out of 10 on the scary scale. But they said the opening scene is really scary. But if you can make it through that, you can make it through the rest of the movie easy. So I continued watching this opening scene and it progressively got more intense and more creepy. And then by the time it was over, I went, okay, that may be one of the scariest things that I will watch. I am glad that I made it through that. And then what do you know? There were two more scenes in this movie that were every bit as scary as the opening scene. So they weren't 20 minutes long, but they were still really scary. So I feel like I was a little bit deceived there, but that's why I can't trust other people's judgments and opinions on things all the time. That's why you don't believe everything you read online. But the movie itself, outside of being creepy, is really well shot. I mean, exceptionally The director, his name is David Pryor, and I actually watched another project of his the night after watching The Empty Man, and I'll maybe touch on that very briefly. But the camera work is very good. The lighting is very good because, quite frankly, there are a lot of scenes in this movie that are very dimly lit, but you can still see everything that you need to see in those scenes, which is something that horror directors miss on pretty often, or I guess people that are maybe not horror directors but trying to direct horror movies will have a scene that's dark and it ends up being too dark where you can't see enough or maybe there's too much light and you can see too much but I feel they had it just right for this movie but I'll tell you that the opening scene is really creepy and then it jumps ahead in time and you are introduced to the lead character in the film who's played by James Badge Dale a guy that I really love in just about everything and I really liked him in this movie too But very early into the movie, the next-door neighbor has her daughter go missing. And when he goes into her room to look around, because you find out that he is an ex-cop, but when he goes into her room, there's some strange stuff that they find. Written in blood on the mirror is something that says, The Empty Man Made Me Do It. There's a poster to something called the Pontifex Institute. And overall, something just seems very off about this. And so... The police show up and tell the mother of the missing girl that they'll look into it, but he tells her that they're not really going to look into it, but he will look into it. And so the first thing he does is he tracks down her friends and talks to her friends. Because when somebody goes missing, sometimes they run away with a friend or sometimes their friends know what's going on, but are afraid to tell police. And so that's who he goes to. But anyway, he ends up following this long trail and there's this almost boogeyman-like figure in the movie that they are talking about, and that is the empty man. And so he's kind of looking into that while also looking into where this girl went, who she had been spending her time around, 
and possibly some of the stuff she might have got herself caught up in. So this movie very much has elements of cosmic or Lovecraftian horror to it. It also has what I would call cult horror, which is something that you would find in stuff like A Cure for Wellness or Midsummer. But I think it's a very fascinating film. I think it's a very engaging film. I saw a lot of people complain about the runtime to this movie. I personally had no issues with the runtime. It runs at about 2 hours and 20 minutes. It apparently was supposed to be about 10 minutes shorter or 15 minutes shorter. But the problem is the movie had test screened way back in 2016, 2017. And it had such mixed test screening scores that they didn't release it when they originally should have. And so the movie kind of sat around for a few years until finally being dumped into theaters in 2020 during the COVID year when nobody was releasing their movies. So they slipped it out then and nobody really saw it. And to probably the surprise of the studio, it was pretty well received. And I'll say that I can see why people liked it because it has so many elements of so many great horror genres. I think it's creepy. I think the main character is likable where you are rooting for him. It's of course well-directed as I have said. And the ending is very polarizing to say the least. And I won't say much more on that. I'll just say that anytime a movie has an ending that people either love or hate, that's a movie that's going to get talked about and that's a movie that's going to stick around for a very long time. And the people that hate the ending end up being drowned out by the people that love it after 20 or so years. So I guess you could put me in the fan club for this movie, although the ending is something that uh, I don't know if I'll say on the podcast which side of the fence I'm on on that one. But yeah, okay, you know what, I'll just tell you. I love this movie despite the ending. As a matter of fact, because of the ending, I liked the movie. But I think if you are a horror fan, if you can tolerate some mild scares throughout a movie, it is not packed with jump scares, which is something I appreciate any time in a horror movie is when it does not have a million jump scares. I think those are cheap scares. And there really aren't any jump scares. The movie is just incredibly tense. It builds up tension really, really well. It makes great use of the camera and great use of sound. And overall, the story is just kind of eerie and mysterious. So you are left unsettled throughout much of the runtime. I will warn you, though, that it is a little bit disturbing. By the end of the movie, it'll disturb you a little bit if you're somebody that is just a weenie like me when it comes to horror movies. So just a fair warning. Okay, I'm going to breeze through the last couple movies I have because I've already been talking for way too long. I mean, not much longer than a typical episode, but way too long for what I wanted this episode to be. So next up, I saw the movie Man on Fire, or I watched the movie Man on Fire, directed by Tony Scott, starring Denzel Washington. And what a picture, man. What a picture. So I have a couple complaints about this movie. The first of which is that it is way too freaking long. And I don't complain about movies runtime all the time, but I'll complain about this one because I think it's around two and a half hours and it could have been two hours even. The biggest flaw with the film is that, I mean, if I were to just tell you that the movie is about a guy who used to work, I don't know if it was CIA or some other Department of Defense, and it's implied that he was kind of working as a hitman for hire for quite a few years. But now he's at a point in his life where he is filled with regret. He seems pretty miserable. 
and he takes this job protecting a little girl in this family, partially just because he needs a job, but also maybe deep down he's trying to redeem himself for all the years of being a, as he sees it, bad guy. But he serves as a personal bodyguard to this girl, and then one day she is kidnapped by the very people they have been trying to protect her from, and he is almost killed when it happens. And then she's being held for ransom, and when the exchange is supposed to take place, something goes wrong which results in the girl being killed. So Denzel, when his body is fully recovered, ends up being on an absolute mission to get revenge. And so based on the premise of the movie, you might think, oh, surely the girl gets taken in the first 30 minutes of the movie. Not so. She actually gets taken about an hour into the movie. So that's where I said that it's about half an hour too long. Even if you trim just 20 minutes, man. I think the kidnapping taking place when it did, it was just a little late into the movie. But I was willing to excuse it as long as the rest of the movie delivered. And I'll say, yeah, the rest of the movie delivers. I have one other complaint, and that is that Tony Scott, he has a very distinct visual style. I mean, it's not completely unlike someone like Michael Bay. I love Michael Bay. His style can be really in your face and overwhelming, but it works for me. However, watching this movie, I thought, okay, I guess I can kind of see what other people experience when they watch Michael Bay movies. Because there are a few scenes that you very much get a sensory overload. And sometimes it's just to look cool or stylish. And sometimes I think it's meant to serve a purpose for the scene. And I'm totally okay with somebody's style being there just to look cool. But there were times where it was a little jarring and distracting for me. So those are my two complaints about the movie. One is just that it's too long for me. Mostly that first hour, I would say, drags a little bit. They needed to cut that down just a tad. And then the other is that the style gets a little jarring at times. But this is a movie I've heard from so many people is Denzel's best. And I was always like, really? Because it has bad ratings. If you look online, it didn't get reviewed very well. But a ton of people always have it in their top five Denzel movies. And he's in a lot of great movies. So to have it in his top five, that's a pretty impressive thing. And after watching it, I can see why. He gives a very, very good performance in this movie. I mean, he's a great actor. Of course he did. But he also delivers some of the hardest lines I've heard in my life. I mean, dude, he was just on fire. There's this scene where he is getting ready to, it looks like he's about to assassinate somebody. And this guy says to him, he says, you know, God says that we should forgive. And he just goes, Forgiveness is between him and God. It's my job to arrange the meeting. And that moment I was like, oh, dang, dang. And the guy's there with his wife. And the camera kind of just zooms in on both of them because they kind of have a look on their faces like, dang, I don't agree with what he just said, but he cooked. (laughs) Then there's this one other line where there's a guy that he tortures to get information. And then when he's finally about to kill him, he just says, it's on to the next life for you, brother. I promise you won't be lonely. It's because, of course, he's about to go on a huge killing rampage to get revenge and pretty much make sure everybody responsible for what happened to this girl is taken care of. But yeah, I'll say the screenplay is really good. It is really well directed, although the style gets a bit jarring at times. And Denzel's fantastic in this movie. 
overall, I was a fan. It also used the song Claire Day Loon, which, yeah, I love that song, man. It's beautiful. It was recently used in the movie The Creator, and it was also in Twilight. So, fantastic song for sure. Last and probably least that I will talk about is Fear Street, 1994. So that is the first movie of the Fear Street trilogy. So Netflix released this trilogy in summer of 2021. And I believe they released them all a month apart. And for some reason they released, I think the first two during the summer. And then the last one was closer to the fall. I still don't think they released it in October though. And this is a decent movie. I only watched the first one in the trilogy. I think it's maybe hopefully the weakest of the three. It wasn't bad. It's okay. It kind of reminds me of a few different horror movies, I would say, but it's unique uh, in and of itself. It's got some supernatural to it. It's got some slasher to it. And it's teenagers on the run from an evil entity trying to kill one specific person. I mean, this evil entity is willing to kill all of them, but they have one target in mind specifically. And I'll say that I was actually enjoying this movie. There were a couple complaints I had that I'm not going to air out right now because I've been talking for way too long. But there were a couple deaths in the third act where I went, wow, because they kill off a couple characters in pretty brutal ways. And then it cuts to the next day, the surviving characters, they're just hanging out and having a good old time. One's like, hey, I ordered pizza. And they're just chilling out, like happy to be alive and stuff. But I'm thinking, aren't you at all sad that you watched your friends die in some horrific ways? You aren't at all traumatized. You guys don't need a therapist or anything. You're just kicking back, playing video games, watching TV, making out, ordering pizza. I wish I could do that, man. I wish I could shake off the horrors of humanity like that. But no, overall, it is a decent movie. I mean, there are some good laughs in there. There's some good suspense. I think some of the character designs are kind of cool. It was just by the end I said, all right, this is a fun movie. It's kind of in the same boat as like Totally Killer, where I think it's a fun movie. It's a fun idea. They didn't nail it from an execution standpoint all across, though. But I haven't watched the remainder of the trilogy yet, so we'll see. But anyway, those were my October watches, or those have been my October watches thus far. I'm hoping to watch a few more movies before the month's end, but we'll see. So I know this was an unconventional episode, but hopefully you guys maybe heard at least one or two movies that you might want to check out here. If not, then maybe the next movie I talk about on here will entice you. So if my doctor is able to get me right, I should be seeing Five Nights at Freddy's uh, the night that this episode will drop. So I really don't know if I'm going to be able to, but hopefully, hopefully, fingers crossed, I will be good to go for that and I will be talking all about it next week. If not, I don't know what I'm going to do, man. I really don't. So as always, I thank you guys for tuning in. If you have not already, then please give this podcast a follow on whatever you are streaming on right now, and also give me a follow on Instagram. You can find me under the username at vitamin C pod. There you can find updates both on this podcast and on movies in general. But that is going to be it for today. You guys will hopefully hear from me next week.